a few years back, my boys got a, a sticker that they put on Christy Lynn's motorcycle that said, the older my dad gets, the faster he was. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah. This one's mine. Wanna wanna talk a little about uh, um, 2013? Not that long ago. In 2013, I had the opportunity to uh, do something just really fun. I've always I've loved speed, and we like to race. We raced snowmobiles and motorcycles, and amen, <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. Still love speed. Have that need for speed and like to do it, and I'm very, very competitive, like to compete. And a friend of mine owns a car lot, and he asked me, he said, hey, they're doing a thing here at Meridian Speedway. They call it the preacher feature. They want to find the faster pastor. <laughs> Would you like to come and run my car around there here in the preacher feature? I'd love to. So I got out there and had an absolute blast. A couple of things that you needed to do, and in this, that's qualify. You had to get out there and do some, some trial laps. You had to make sure that you actually knew how to drive and go halfway fast around that track so you're not going to kill anybody or anything. So had to do that and then qualify at a specific time around that track to be able to get out there and race with them. And it's like, yeah, no problem, no problem. We did that. Went around the track one time, getting a little more confidence, a little more confidence, just to see how fast, and almost did that whole, let's see where they start to break loose, and, and uh, shook them up out there just a little bit, and they, they cautioned me, and so, I got it, I got it now, I got it now. Anyway, the end of the story is, won the, the uh, qualifying event, and then won the main event, the preacher feature, the faster pastor. Then the really cool thing, the next year, he called me, want to do it again. said, absolutely, I want to defend my title. Then when it came time for the race, I had strained my back. Yeah, that really, really frustrating. It's like, oh, man, because you have to crawl through a little window in and out of that thing. And, and uh, once you get up in your 60s and you're not a little guy anyway, and you have to crawl in that window, that's a task in itself to get in that car and the webbing and the stuff and so I had an idea I have a young gentleman Kalen Haruza he likes speed too he's a wild man and he was our youth pastor at that time so he qualified as a pastor so we went from having the year before the oldest guy out there to this time the youngest guy out there and he has one of these trophies at his house because he was the faster pastor the second year. Now, these trophies, now this one has been in my office, which creates, you know, some conversation. It's like, oh, you have all of these cool books and stuff. What's that doing in there? It's like, well, let me tell you a story. This is a glory day story. No, but see these trophies here, this one is a, you probably can't see from there how beat up, dirty, the, the, the ribbon's broken, can't hang it anymore. This was Boise Valley BMX District Champion, Expert Champion. And look how important that is. It's been in the bottom. It's, we, we tore down on one of our garages, our barn, looking through some of the boxes, and I started finding these things. That's just how valuable they are just a few years later in life, you know? Oh, dust, rust, scraped up, broken, moths. This is another one of those, and we'd already sorted through. I mean, we had hundreds of these, literally hundreds of these, some of these massive trophies. We raced everywhere from Las Vegas to, you know, we went all over the place chasing points and, and racing, having a great time, which was a priority for us at that time. It was a priority for, are you hearing me? 
That was a priority for us. This was important, big stuff for us, chasing the, chasing the racing circuit. And now it's in the attic of the barn, gathering lots and lots of dust. Not so important anymore. But at the time, it seemed really, really important. In fact, it, it took a priority in our lives, uh, traveling around to go, to go do that, to be on that, in that racing circuit. Very, very important to us. Did I say that once or twice now? Yeah, that was really important. It was a priority. Um, the title of my message this morning is going to be Commit and Submit. Commit your life and submit your will. Commit your life and submit your will. And how we bring things into alignment, actually bringing our lives into alignment, the things that really are important to us and the things that really don't have quite the same value and importance when we take a serious look at what we're aligning ourselves with to do or to be. I remember Mick Friend. We used to have a family camp. For several years, we had family camp every year, all ages, adults and stuff. And, and Mick preached a message up at Chalice, Idaho, and he said, you know, keeping it between the white lines. That was his message, keeping it between the white lines. Like, it's like, hey, that, that, that's a pretty good message. And I was thinking about that over the last few days, that keeping it between, between the white lines, you know, as part of the journey, as part of the race. And I was thinking how life, Paul refers to life, the Christian life, that we're living like a race, that a bunch of people enter the race, everybody enters the race, but there's only one winner. You know, when, when, when you enter that kind of the competitive race, there's only one winner. But God has for each one of us an individual race that he's called us to, that we run our own race, that he's given us the gifts, he's given us the talents, everything that we need to run, to accomplish, to win that race. And that's the really important race as we begin to bring things into alignment. I think about, I should just grab a scripture, but I'm just going to tell you where it is. Matthew 6, 19 to 21, where it talks about laying up your treasures in earthen vessels and things that will rust and decay and get dust all over them. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. But where really we want to lay up our treasure is in things that don't rust, that don't decay, that don't fade away, that a thief cannot steal from you. And that's in a heavenly realms where we are working towards, our race is towards eternal life. And the rewards that we receive at the end of that race, which not only is eternal life, but it says when Jesus comes again, that we're going to be, that everyone is going to be judged, like the wheat and the tares, the sheep, the goats, and all that, but that he has rewards for those who have faithfully served him. So we're going to be judged not only for whether we get to go to heaven or hell, whether we're going to be in the fire pit or we're going to be in the glory realm, but the rewards that he has for those who have been faithful and diligent to do what he's called us to do. Right? We're expecting rewards, right? Not everybody's expecting rewards? Uh, okay, I'm expecting rewards. Commit your life, submit your will. I think about alignment. When I was thinking about racing and that, and that, that little car that uh, Tommy gave us to drive, you know, in, in the, the race and the things, when, keeping it between the lines, keeping it around that racetrack, there's a lot of things that needed to be dialed in on that car and that you need to get the feel for and all, but uh, that's one thing. Racing, the competition of the race, but just life. As Mick Friend was talking about, keeping it between the white lines as we go. There, there are things, my wife had a dream car. She wanted a 1955, 1956, or 1957. There were only three years that this car was made. Thunderbird. 
55, 56, 57 Thunderbird. That was her dream car. Beautiful little car. And like I said, they only made them for three years. So, of course, they're pretty valuable. Going to pay a pretty penny for those. Well, because I love that woman so much and I wanted her to have her dream car, I surprised her. One, I don't know if it was birthday or anniversary or what it was, and I had found one and had it delivered from Hawthorne, Nevada. Delivered, and, and, and we unloaded that thing, and, and uh, man, it is so cool. You look at that car, and you talk about a tension getter. You drive around in one of those old T-Birds, that there are not that many of them on the street anymore. They're pretty much collectors. And boy, everybody looks like, wow, oh, check that out, check that out. But to drive that thing had a steering wheel about, about probably that big around, and I had to fold over twice to get in that car. I mean, <laughs> bend over, back in first, crawl in that thing, and you start driving it down the road, and it's, you have to drive it like that. You have to be paying, really paying attention, driving that thing down the road because there's slack in the steering wheel. It's 1955 technology, you know. It's like, wow. So the coolest thing was to be able to take the top off, had one of the hard fiberglass hard top you could take off and then run down the road. And then people could see your big smile and wave at you and thumbs up. And that was really cool for a short time because it was difficult to drive and even keep... Renee got to the point she only wanted to ride in it. She didn't even want to drive it. Her dream car she really wanted to have nothing to do with, let's take it for a ride. So that's like, mm. sometimes the places that we put our priorities are not all that, that feasible, but I was thinking of keeping it between the white lines. When, when everything in your life, not the things that look really pretty, that look really awesome, that, the shiny object that you think is important, the trophies, the, the glittery things, the shiny, the shiny car. But when, when we bring things into true alignment with His will for our life, then things get a lot simpler. It's like, I call that, we bought another car a few years later, <laughs> uh, fell in love with something different. But that was completely restored. All of the modern things, re restored, restored, restored. With power steering that you could drive that thing down the road, you could one thumb it. 500 horsepower that you could drive with one thumb. Awesome, beautiful. 1967 Chevelle Supersport. We both loved that car. It performed. It was easy to drive, easy to keep on the road. Unlike, because I, I think... When we bring things into alignment, it just gets a lot easier. A lot easier. And now, our lives, when our, when our lives are transformed by the renewing of our mind, it's, it, it's like you become a new creation, kind of like a car that's been completely restored with all of the new, you know, the new front end, the new power steering, all of the stuff that you can put on an old car that's not original. It's, are, are you following me? You know, what? You, you get the upgrade. It's the same body as the 1967, but everything in it has been completely redone. You become a new creation in Christ able to do what He's called you to do. And there's a renewing that continues in your mind. You're continually having your mind renewed with what's been put in your spirit. Everybody say, I'm a new creation. Yes, I can do this. Okay. Now where are you going, Lynn? That's a great question. Bringing things into proper alignment. Bringing our lives into, into proper alignment with... Let's 
uh, let's go to Luke, Luke 8 through 11. This is where I had a big, big intersection trying to figure out which direction to go. Decision made. Luke chapter 8. I spent either two or three weeks, I've done two or three sermons already out of this, out of this area, out of this, this chapter, but we're going to go here again because I believe that this is a significant part of bringing all of the things in our life into alignment with His will, with His purpose for our lives. We're going to start with uh, verse 11 as Jesus is explaining the parable. Now the parable is this, the seed, you know, where there's... There's been a scatterer, someone who went scattered seeds. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away that word right out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, who believe for a while and then in a time of temptation fall away. The ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, with riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. Say, no fruit. No fruit fruit to maturity. Okay. I want to stop right here and talk about this for just a little bit. When we have made the commitment, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Jesus, save me. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Jesus, I ask you to forgive me. I I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be Lord of my life. And then we turn around and step right back out into the world, looking at cars and races and all kinds of shiny things that that, that distract us and, and draw our attention to them. It becomes a little bit difficult to have much fruit and maturity in our lives. Cares, riches, and pleasures. I'm going to uh, share some... uh, I've shared before at least a little bit. Let me get into a little bit of depth. uh, Some things going through this experience right here, myself, personally. And I can even remember exactly where I was standing when I went through some of this, when the Lord started speaking to me, and the Lord started dealing with me and teaching me through experiences. I, 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 I know I've talked about this some, but I felt like this is really a time that's important to talk about again in detail because of this scripture right here, cares, riches, and pleasures of life. I was doing very well, uh, very well in 1993, back in the glory days with the trophies and all of the awesome things that we were doing and, and chasing all over the, all over the states, uh, <laughs> from snowmobiles to the things that I've just discussed. Renee and I even taking a year off when Christy Lynn was born, buying a motorhome, taking a year off and just traveling, just nothing but travel for a year because we were doing very, very well. Lots of cares and things and pleasures of life that we wanted to pursue at 42 years old. Thinking retirement for the first round. And I remember looking, walking in my shop, and we had these doors, these plastic things that you see in freezers to keep a warehouse from freezing. I mean, let things in the warehouse freeze things in the shop. I remember standing there looking out at my inventory, standing looking at inventory, because God started talking to me about, you need to really be serious about paying tithe. And I was like, okay. Uh, But I've always been a negotiator. And I stand there looking through that plastic, and I've separated it, and I'm looking at my inventory. I have furnaces, I have air conditioners, I have all kinds of, you know, gas pipe boots, I mean, you name it, everything to put in, furnaces, air conditioners, residential, commercial. I'm looking through there and 
feeling convicted in my heart like crazy to be stepping it up on, on my tithe, on my giving. And I remember looking through there and looking at the inventory and I said, I got a deal for you, Lord. Let's make a deal. I will pay a full tithe on this income that you're giving me or that I'm earning when I don't have to have a line of credit to cover this inventory anymore because that costs me almost 10% the interest on that line of credit. Uh, so when I don't have to pay that, how easy is it going to be for me to pay simply a full tithe? But right now, Lord, you know, if you take a look around at most of the people in our church, I'm not talking about right now, I'm talking about where I was then, you'll see that I'm paying more than most of those people already. Like, that was supposed to help and supposed to make a difference. It's like, no, no, we're, not, we're, we're talking about the widow's might kind of thing here, Lynn. It's like, so, but I made that deal, and, and sometimes in the negotiation, I really like to have the last word. So, right, we're done. When this happens, you can count on it, Lord. Boy, that's not the way it happened. He had a lesson that he needed to teach me. And I'm a numbers guy, and so, so percentages, and I think I may have shared this one time before, but at that time in 1993, Renee and I were, I say I, Renee and I were, she was taking care of the home front and running the credit cards, so uh, <laughs> we were enjoying life and it came to a very abrupt halt when I ended up going to meet with my accountant after taking a year off and he's asking me what happened and I said what are you talking about and it's like well look at this and it's like oh no oh no I went back been making a quarter million dollars a year in 1993 to I'm just telling you it's supposed to pay $25,000 that would be $25,000, right? You're all fairly good at math. $250,000 would be $25,000 tithe. Right? Everybody's with us. That's what I should have paid. But even backing up while I was standing there looking through this, I had completed an order because we raced snowmobiles. In the winter, I had completed an order, and when you race snowmobiles, you always have to have the latest models to stay competitive. Anybody that races knows that. Yes. So I had ordered and spent almost $25,000 because I live by some financial principles. I will not borrow money for toys. <laughs> so I paid cash for about $25,000 worth of snowmobiles to be race ready that, you know, you have to order in advance. And we, we, we did the race thing. But at that time, I can, I can remember very clearly, I gave a little over between five and $6,000 to the church, to God, for my tithes, and told him I would pay full tithe when he would take care of this so I didn't have to borrow money for my inventory. Now, how ridiculous does that sound now? I, you would think that I'm a rather fairly astute individual and understand business a little bit, but yeah, bartering with God that way, that's getting way out of alignment, wouldn't you say? Yes. Way out of alignment. My, my, I can't even believe it. When I tell this story, it's hard for me to believe. So, that year, 19, uh, <laughs> at the end of 1994, I ended up paying taxes for 1994 on a total, what do they call that, gross adjusted income of $25,000. I went from 250 to 25. It's like, wow, Lord, are you trying to show me something about 10%? It's like, we had a real flip. If we will be faithful to Him, 
and live on the 90%, he is absolutely content and has promised in his word, he'll be good with the 10% and give us the 90. I was not willing to do that. So I got to go around the next year and I got to have the 10% and the 90% was just snatched away. It's like, oh goodness. And if you've been in business before and you hit a little downturn in business, which happened right after that, it took a long time, a long time, for me not only to, I mean, I ended up mortgaging properties, I ended up doing all kinds of things. And those snowmobiles, this is one thing that I thought about later, just when I was thinking about this message, if I was going to do this or not, I had to end up giving the titles to those snowmobiles as security to one of the wholesale houses that I dealt with as security that I would pay them all the money that I owed them. <laughs> it's like, are you hearing that? What I took cash to buy so I could keep racing thinking that we're doing so well, I had to give those titles as security. It's like, man, that's another God. My perception of the obvious is less than uncanny. <laughs> it was not too much longer. Uh -uh. So, needless to say, my retirement was cut very short. Back to work, back to work. Not too much longer. After I had learned this lesson and God started blessing me again, uh, Renee's older brother, the, the Rutsons, Bo, he was here last week. He came to my house. They were building this sanctuary, and I was really not much... Not much a part of that right at that time. Um, and he had come over to our place for dinner, and I was back on track, starting to roll again. Things were working. I'd learned my lesson, I thought, about what God's expectation was, at least of me. So, we're at dinner at a first time he's been at my house for dinner, and I give the opportunity to visit with him while Renee went to get ice cream or something because we're ready to have dessert and in making small talk, so, Bo, how's it going at the church? What's the, how's the progress going at the church? You know, is, is everything going good? And he goes, oh, it was going great, Lynn, until, he says, right now, Dad's, oh, left one part out. I had just uh, done a business deal and had a $130,000 check. I'm just using the, the numbers here. I had a $130,000 check in my position, possession, took it to the bank, put that in the bank. I stepped through the door, into the door of my house, again, remembering exactly where I was, standing at the back door, ready to walk in my house, and heard, after I came back from making the deposit at the bank, you're going to pay tithes on that, right? It's like, well, of course. You know I'm going to. Sound like Peter. Yes, Lord. You know I'm going to. And uh, I said, but, you know, yeah. uh-oh, it's right. But Lord, you know that was not all profit. This was not 100% profit because I had this expense and this expense and I started listing in my head and standing there because I can't keep walking and, you know, it's like, it's like chewing gum and trying to run or something. I can't be hearing from God and having a communication with Him. So I'm standing waiting to go in my door to get this conversation finished. And I, never, I will never forget this. And, and I heard so clearly in my spirit, almost like him just speaking directly to me, you're not dealing with the IRS, Lynn. It's like, okay, okay. We'll forget that statement then. No more negotiation. Well, a little more. I want 30 days. I want that money to stay in my bank account for 30 days, which raises my average daily balance. Make me more of a hero with the bank. And I said, end of story. I want the last word again. You'd think I would remember that last word thing from the last time, wouldn't you? It's like, no, no. Last word again. I'll do it. I will write you a check for $13,000, 10% of $130,000, grand. as soon as 30 days is up. So, ready to go. Well, Bo is at our house. He starts sharing a story with me. Oh, things are going really well. Except you know how Dad... Pastor Rutson carries the church checkbook around with him. 
it's rolling around in his pickup and gets sticky stuff on it and everything else. And yeah, yeah, I know. He said, well, Joyce, she's not here this morning. She was our, our bookkeeper at that time. Well, Joyce was going through, you know, adding all of the expenses and, you know, dad's buying things as he goes. And a couple of the pages to the checkbook were stuck together and she missed him. He says, and... Dad's trying to get a, a loan, a, what do they call that, a, line, a second mortgage line of credit thing on the house so we can get that covered at the bank because we came up $13,000 short. It's like, are you, are you kidding me? So I don't want to do a lot of explaining here, Bo, but I want to send you with a check for $13,000 when you leave tonight, okay? It's like, what? What? Like, okay. That's how God teaches me. I have to run my head into the wall. I have to bang it against the wall a few times. You know, it's like, okay. We're talking about seeds right here. I just want to share something with... Yesterday, I went to a funeral, and I got to end up hanging out with uh, my dear friend Dan Doherty. Passed away at man, 69 years young. And uh, was it his celebration yesterday over in Boise and, and uh, really really good friend of mine Ann Dan's who was the first speaker at the funeral his name was uh, Gary, a gentleman named Gary Belliston he, he we were really really close and he ended up moving to Burley and went into the B business business that his father was in apiaries I guess that's how you say that and uh, has done well been in that business for 40 years retired last year sold the business did well and I'm saying well how, how's it going how did you do Gary and he says oh I did good I'm making more money now after the sale than I did when I was working so he said really good he says but let me tell you something Lynn that there is here is something that I am 100% convinced of and nobody can change my mind in this God blesses us financially so we can be a blessing to others so we can just have it to give away this is what he's telling me on, on the heels of, of retiring, selling his business. And I'm thinking, I couldn't agree more, Gary. I couldn't agree more. There's a scripture that says, a good man, I have it here, but you can find it. I'll give you a challenge. A good man leaves a, a, an inheritance for his children's children, but... The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. So a good man is setting money aside. We're talking about planting and spreading seeds. I'm just talking right now about not eating your seed. Keeping some seed to plant. There's two things. I, I, this is something that I drill into my kids. I really drill into Christy Lynn. Her being the last one, she gets to catch all of it. Christy, Thalia, Taylor, I'll go right down the list here. There's an 80-20 rule. If you will follow this 80-20 rule, God says, if you will be good stewards, I'm going to give you a little bit to give you a test, and if you pass that test, I'll give you more, and I'll give you more responsibility and more responsibility. Who's faithful with little will be given much. When you prove your faithfulness with a little, He'll give you more, and He'll give you more. But you have to be faithful with what He's given you. Yeah. And I'm just saying the 80-20 rule. I say, Christy, if, 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 you will create for yourself a budget that you will never live on more than 80% of the income that you have coming in, you'll always have that first 10% to give to God, and then 10% to save back to invest into your children's children. Everybody with me? Still okay? Nobody's throwing anything. I really believe in that, only when we get to a place that our needs are satisfied, then it's no longer, it should no longer be 80-20 it should turn into 60-40 and then 50-50. Because when God begins to bless you, if you will be faithful with it and not get silly on these things that get dirty and rusty and have no value, 
if you'll be faithful with what he's given you, be good stewards of what he's given you, it doesn't take very long if you will set your budget. Paul says, I can be content in every situation, whether I am abased or whether I abound, whether I'm flat, busted, and have no, don't even know where my next meal's coming from, I can be content. Or whether I am just being blessed like crazy, I can be content. If we're going to be happy with that trip, keeping it between the, between the lines and able to just easily drive and easily cruise, we have to be able to find a place of peace in our lives. And that peace comes when our lives are in alignment with His will and with His purpose, when we have committed our lives to Him and submitted our wills to Him, which also means submitting our finances to Him. It's like, what are your needs? Man, He knows when a sparrow falls. He knows how many hairs are on your head. So He knows all of your needs. We have a whole lot of wants. Shiny things that distract us that can then draw from our money, which can, well, Malachi talks about, will a man rob from God? How would we rob from you, God? Well, when you've taken from the first fruit, when you've taken from my tithes and offerings, instead of bringing the full tithe into the storehouse, you're robbing from God. So if you want your life to be blessed, don't steal from Him. The Word says don't steal. And then, when our needs are met, when we establish our needs through a budget, and we diligently follow that budget, then we can bless others with the overflow because there will be overflow because His Word tells us if we will take good care of the little part, if we'll be good stewards of what little I give you, and you prove yourself in what little I give you, then I will pour more. To where, I think the Word says something about blessings that you won't even... I'll open the storehouse and the windows of heaven to where your barns won't even hold it all. If, 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 if you then I, if you then I, commit your life, submit your will. Is everybody okay? Still with me? So don't eat your seed. Does that mean anything to you now? You know what I'm talking about? There has to be seed to replant for the next year, for the next year, for the next year. There has to be seed for your children's children. There has to be overflow so what you have when you walk around will splash over onto people around you. When you see somebody that needs to be blessed, you can bless them without using your credit card and going into debt. He's not saying go further into debt to bless somebody. He's saying be a blessing from the overflow. What? Thank you. The ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and a good heart, Keep it and bear fruit with patience. With patience. Another interpretation is with endurance or patient endurance. No one, we're going to go on to 16, no one when he's lit a lamp covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. It's like... When, I mean, we're, we're the light. We're the salt and light of the world. So it's our responsibility, both with our finances, with our testimony, to go out and be the light of the world. We're not going to cover it up. We're not going to hide it. 
Nothing is secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known and come to light. Now here's what I want you to listen to. It says, therefore, take heed how you hear. Okay. The word is seed. Hmm. How you hear. How you perceive the words in this book. How you perceive the words of God and what you do with it. Now listen to this. I'm going to dig into this further. We're going to go to some more scripture, but I want to complete this verse first. It says, For whoever has, to him more will be given. Whoever does not have, even what he seems to have, will be taken from him. Therefore take heed how you hear. For whoever has, to him more will be given. Whoever is a good steward of what he has, is faithful in what he's been given, more will be given. But to him who does not have, who has not heard, has not perceived, has not received, has not been a good steward of what he's been given, what he seems to have will be taken from him. Like, what he seems to have? Now what in the world... It's like, oh, I remember, I remember riding a, motor, riding a motorcycle into a parking lot when I had a bunch of cash in my pocket and I wanted to go buy a car, looking at some convertible Camaros, thinking, oh, I'd like to buy one of those, and I had the money to buy one of those. But I was wearing my Levi's with the hole in the knee, and that was before it was super cool, and, <laughs> and a t-shirt and cowboy boots, and riding a motorcycle. So the salesman looked and they, laid, they watched me and, and I, I looked at those cars, I climbed in those cars and I could see them in, in, inside looking out the window. Nobody would come out and wait on me. It's like, are you kidding me? Oh, so irritated me. I, which, I did that kind of stuff on purpose so I probably got what I deserved, that whole, you know, looking and judging by the cover. So I had the money. So I was just, I was just messing with them really. So I got what I deserved probably. But so, that, you know, they would come and I saw somebody pull in, get out with a sweater on, a sweater and a tie. Boom. Two of them swarmed out on him, left me looking at the, it's like, I'm just thinking to myself, you morons, I have the money to buy this. I don't have to have a credit check. I have the, but there's a lot of pride in this young man. You can, you can, at this time too. A lot of pride, a little rebellion, a little, I'm going to go down the road and buy me a Corvette instead, which is just what I had when I married Renee. Showed up in a Corvette, take her out on the first date. Anyway, there's uh, a perception that we see. We can look at somebody and think, man, they have it all together. Look at the house they've got. Look at the cars they drive. Those people got it together. Look at the face they put on Sunday morning. Look at the way they come to church. Our perception is that, man, they got money. They got peace in their lives. These people have got it together. But when we aren't in alignment with His will for our lives, when what we're doing is chasing shiny objects and, and all of the distractions that is exactly what it's describing by stony ground when we're not preparing ourselves by submitting and committing committing our lives it's like when heather gave her testimony the other day and she said it's like and, and i had about this much text from her before that it's like when i finally finally quit standing on both sides of the line and actually stepped in and committed how god has blessed me and healed me and it's like yes yes Committing, committing, committing. Stepping over that line about like one foot in, one foot out. Like come to church for the, for the little bit of the church fix here. It makes me feel a little bit better for the rest of the week. Instead, it's step across and commit. Commit your life to God and be able to step into alignment. All He's got for you. Submit to His will. What He has for you. Then you start bringing your life into alignment with what He has. 
Each one of us are called to be a disciple of His and to establish, to grab somebody by the hand, bring them along with us. We're creating more and more disciples for Him. In James... Um, yeah, let's read James 1, 21 through 25. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word. Ah, oh, that we would become the right soil that we would receive the implanted Word. He says, take heed how you hear. It's that we would hear the Word, we would receive the Word, we would plant the Word within us, we would then live the Word. Receive the implanted Word, which is able to what? Save your souls. Be doers of the Word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does be doers we're called to be doers Matthew and I had breakfast a couple days ago and and uh, we were just talking about the first two letters of gospel are go G-O and that's what we're called to do is to be workers the harvest is ready but the workers are few each one of us needs to step into that place of commitment commitment where our lives are committed to him I, I heard just sometimes I listen to well I listen to a lot of different messages but it's like the important thing the only important thing is getting to you know resting at the feet of Jesus getting to know Jesus just sitting at his feet and worshiping him and I say baloney that's the first step we got to get to know Him. You can have encounter after encounter after encounter. I know people that run all over the country just spending their money to go to the next place, to the next place, to the next place, to experience these amazing encounters. Like, oh, that was so powerful. That was so awesome. Yes, and what are you doing with it? It's like, well, I'm saving my money for the next one. Like, no, no. When you have a life-changing encounter with Jesus, it's supposed to change your life. And you become a new creation in Him. You commit to what He's calling you to do. You bring your life into alignment with His Word, with His purpose, with the goal that He has for your life. You submit your will to Him. And then... Oh, life gets a whole lot easier. You're not struggling to keep it between the lines. You're serving Him, being proactive to do what He's calling you to do, what you're hearing Him. Does this make sense? Well, then let's stand. See, when... Uh, when they went back to, back to fishing, when Peter and the, and the guys, they went back out to, to fishing after Jesus had been crucified. And he showed up on the shore there and he, he called them in after they fished on the other side of the boat. I remember right, John 21, 17. And they came in and, and they had, he, he fixed them a meal there. They, they ate with him and he says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, you know I love you. You know I love you. And, and, and Jesus' response was, Oh, Peter, I love the way you love me. You know, just keep, just keep confessing how much you love me. Just keep worshiping me, Peter. 
That's not what he said. He said, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know it. Feed my sheep. Peter, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Peter, do you know, do you, do you love me? Feed my lambs. Care for my little ones. I want you to start splashing on them. I want you to feed them with the Word. I want you to feed them physically. And James, he says, you know, if somebody comes to you, it's awesome that you just that you lay hands on and pray for them and says, they come to you hungry and you lay hands on them and you say, you know, be encountered by God right now and go away full. And they leave hungry still because they're physically hungry. How have you helped them? Wow. You can lead them to Jesus. You can show them Jesus. You can give them a Jesus encounter. But until you feed them, they're still going to be physically hungry. So their lives are really not going to be changed until you've dealt with the physical issue as well. Right? So, let me go back to finances. Each one of us, we're supposed to live according to our needs, not establish our needs according to our wants, like I tried to do with God when I said, if you will take care of me here where I don't have to have a line of credit anymore. It's like, oh, bonk, son. <laughs> You're spending your money on stupid stuff. On these, these, these trophies that just gather dust and that you're throwing up in the, in the top of the barn. Matthew 25, 23 says, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. It's not about how much do you love me. If you love me, serve me. If you love me, come into alignment with my will for your life. Get off, get out of your seat and go do something. I believe that uh, I believe that Jesus' love language is a lot like mine. I, I, I love to hear, you know, the compliments and good job, and I really love you and stuff. But I'm a results-oriented personality. If you really want to show me how much you love me, do something for me. <laughs> Father, I just thank you for each one. That has come together here, that we, 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 we get to come and we get to worship you, Lord, and, and uh, we get to hear about you. We get to hear your word. And I just pray that from this day forward, each one of us would listen carefully for what you're really saying and that would walk away changed as we receive the imparted word, that we would be the good soil that would receive that word, that it could grow within us and produce that 50, 100% increase. Use us, Lord. Use us, Lord. Um, mm. As a congregation, are, are we all ready to commit our lives to Him? Are we ready? And then we'll see our community changed, our city, our community, our neighborhood, our state. Then let's just say this together. Jesus, I commit my life to you. Jesus, I submit my will to you. Come in. Cleanse me. Teach me. Show me, lead me, direct my every step as I commit it to you. In Jesus' name, amen.